0: What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Locations Unknown. I'm your co-host, Joey Rodham. With me, as always, is a man who could be the president, but wants to let others take a turn first, <laughs> Mike
1: Van de Bogart. Oh, <clears throat> thank you, Joe, and thank you once again to all of our loyal uh, listeners for tuning in tonight. A uh, little, little change in the studio. This is uh, Locations Unknown after dark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you uh, just listening, we have some new green lighting in the studio for nighttime uh episodes so yes um just a quick patreon shout out we only have one patreon uh member new member this month so this episode christina cole so thank you christina and for all of you listening come on step it up <laughs> 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 subscribe uh you give
0: gonna can, the and effect they're all gonna leave now yeah <laughs> uh you, you can't, can't tell people what to do they
1: do the opposite <laughs> right so don't subscribe uh, if you want to call the show and leave a voicemail, you can call 208-391-6913. Anything is a fair game. And just remember, we may play it on a future episode. So. We will. Yeah, we will. Um, if you want to help the show out, there's many ways to do it. You can obviously subscribe at Patreon, YouTube memberships, Apple premium subscriptions, or uh, buy some swag from either our Facebook store or our website store. So... This is another one of our fun uh, cold case episodes where we're going to be covering some cases from some national forests this time. So, And this episode is unofficially sponsored by... Coca Cola Zero Cherry Flavor, <laughs> all the flavor,
0: none of the sugar. Coke Zero,
1: and all of the cancer causing <laughs> chemicals. Yeah, no, it's it's so
0: bad. It's not good. It's okay. I'm
1: drinking one too. Yeah, we're
0: we're both drinking yeah. one. But so uh, may, uh, we recommend it for taste, but not for health. <laughs> and we're That's not. what happens when it's an unofficial ad. We're gonna just be real.
1: Yeah. So, uh, so with that, uh, uh,
0: well, I, I will. I'll announce our our new employee. Oh, we, yeah. got, we, got an, we got an intern. Yes,
1: we have an intern. Uh, we
0: had a meeting with her today, so it hasn't officially started. Uh, her name is Kim. Uh, I've already decided I'm going to call her our Kim turn. <laughs> so we have a Kim turn who's going to be helping us out with some of the research, uh, social media stuff. She's uh, in filmmaking, learning about filmmaking, She's does social college. media. She's in college. Uh, she can do graphic design. So if you see our graphics step up, uh, anything get better than it was before most likely it's, it's the kim turn <laughs> yeah <laughs> so all right everybody let's gear up and get out to explore locations unknown With over 52 million acres, the U.S. National Park System is home to some of the most breathtaking natural features on the planet. Tens of millions enjoy these parks every year. Join us this week for an installment of National Park Cold Cases as we explore Oregon National Forest. So we're going to Oregon, not Oregon, (laughs) Oregon, Oregon, like organs, Oregon. So uh, what we're going to be talking about is some different areas. Uh, The first one is the Rogue River in Siskiyou National Forest near the coast southwest of the other two forests we're going to be covering. It is about an eight hour drive from the other two forests. Uh, The size is 1.7 million acres. So similar to Kobuk, which is number nine on the list.
1: Yeah, Kobuk National Park in Alaska.
0: Very big park. That's a very big park. (laughs) Uh, The next forest we're going to be covering is uh, Fremont-Winma National Forest. That's less than a two-hour drive from the Wilmette National Forest. It is 2.2 million acres, which is similar to Yellowstone, which is number eight. And the last one is the Wilmette National Forest. It's 1.6 million acres, again, similar to Kobuk. uh, Combined all three of them are 5.6 million acres would make it the third largest national park and is larger than the state of New Jersey.
1: And they're all within an eight hour drive of each other. So that's pretty
0: crazy. That's nice. Yeah. I like that. We, uh, I just met a couple people from that live up in Washington and Oregon, and they just talked about all the hiking they can do. They can go hiking all the time and get new trails constantly. And I was like, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Just rub it in. Yeah. right. <laughs> so, uh, when were they established? The first two were established in 1906. The third was in 1933. Uh, rogue river sees about 915,000 people per year. Uh, Winema is 428,000 and a Willamette is 1.7 million visitors per year. So habitation history, of the area, since we don't have much time to talk about all three forests and have covered rogue river in previous episodes, we're going to primarily focus on the Fremont and Winma since they're located near Willamette, but it is the larger of the two. So, human presence in Fremont region extends back thousands of years. Physical evidence of this comes from the Paisley Caves, location and discovery of 14,500-year-old human, uh, coprolite. What is that? Let's look up the coprolite. I'm going to pull up what that means. Uh, it's fossilized feces. Oh. <laughs> so, they found a fourteen thousand year old human turd <laughs> oh. and that is how we know that the people were there
1: but it's funny they have to name it something scientific well of course s- the, yeah like a, a because they don't
0: want <laughs> to you can't be a scientist and be taken seriously so like we found an old turd that's for us to do this because- is t-
1: <laughs> you don't do grade school potty mouth humor here <laughs> locations on the- well
0: i i might cor- corporalite Co- that's what it's called coprolite copper <laughs> Whatever <laughs> we're gonna put it, we're gonna put it in the machine. It's funny because how many we have such a mix of people that think that us trying to pronounce words is hilarious, and then or the they other hate people, it. Oh, the other people get mad, and I just have fun with all of it. Let's see what the Google machine says.
1: Coprolite. 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 I was I was
0: pretty much correct. Maybe, a, a, you know, I might have put the right emphasis on the wrong syllable, <laughs> but uh, I was pretty much right. So Euro-American traders began entering the Klamath area at some point between 1825 and 1827, where they worked as trappers for the Hudson Bay Company. The Fremont National Forest was established in 1908 was named for Captain John C. Fremont, who was sent to explore the area in 1843. Native people were quickly moved out of their traditional territories through the late 1800s into the mid-1900s as a response to the Euro-American settlers in the region that were attracted to the rich forest resources and ranching possibilities. In 2002, it was administratively combined with the Fremont National Forest. The Winma National Forest separately is the third largest national forest after the Nez Perce National Forest and the Okanogan-Wanatichi National Forest. That is contained entirely within one county.
1: So this next little section, because um, we've covered Oregon. Oregon. Yeah, you, nice correction. Nice correction. Multiple times we've, we've done National Forest uh, facts. We've done facts about the state. This, we could do probably 15 episodes with these facts. There's so many of them, and some of them are really funny.
0: Oh, okay, maybe it's a Patreon episode or or something. We could, yeah, we can okay. do it, yeah. All but right, I
1: think I I picked ones that I think you would find funny. Some of them. Okay, <laughs>
0: awesome. <clears throat> um. Actually, I have a great idea because we're going to be doing a surprise interview. That should be our Patreon episode before we release it to the rest of the people. Okay. So we'll record that and that'll be... So there's an interesting surprise for Patreon supporters. So if you want to see what it is or hear what it is, (laughs) go to patreon.com and sign up or subscribe on Apple subscriptions or on YouTube subscriptions. All right. Interesting facts about nature. (laughs) Since we've covered interesting facts about national forests in Oregon in previous episodes, enjoy these mind-blowing facts about nature. Dolphins can identify humans by checking our skeleton structure through sonar.
1: Wow. Yeah, I did not
0: know that. I want to know how they figured that out. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Like, is that just a really educated guess? It sounds correct. Dolphins are incredibly smart. I actually Googled it to make sure what it wasn't like a joke fact. Oh, I believe I believe it's probably published. I want to understand like the methodology for determining that. That I don't know. We don't have to go into that now, <laughs> yeah. but I am interested and we'll probably be up late tonight looking into those studies. <laughs> uh, sometimes when they're out gathering nectar, bees will fall asleep in the flowers. <clears throat> that sounds awesome. <laughs> Uh, In any given year, you're 10 times more likely to get bitten by a New Yorker than bitten by a shark. (laughs) I feel like 10 times is too low. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like you're like 100 times more likely to be bitten by a New Yorker. In fact, I expect when I do go to New York that I'll probably be bitten. When I go in the ocean, I expect that I will not be bitten. Yeah uh iceland is the only country in the world without mosquitoes i didn't, some of these are i some didn't of these know that
1: funny uh <laughs> now that i'm reading them like that's Aren't? just a fact yeah but that's really neat i <laughs> yeah. didn't know that i didn't either that, now i know that
0: i'm gonna say that at a party and they'll be like no it's not i'd be like i hope mike was right yeah <laughs> <laughs> a group of lemurs is called a conspiracy oh next time you see a conspiracy theorist call them a lemur a lemur and see if they know what you're talking about. <laughs> Uh, sloths can only go number two once a week and it is gigantic up to a third of their body weight however because it takes them so long to go number two over half of all natural sloth fatalities happen at this time <laughs> oh my god <laughs> it takes them so long to go crap that they can die
1: yeah they get killed by predators or- <gasps> While they're doing it,
0: that okay. So, I did go to grade school. I was thinking for some reason a long poop killed them. No, no, <laughs> like they just are vulnerable for so long. They're,
1: that's when they're most vulnerable, and oh, it takes man. them so
0: long. That- and they're so adorable. <laughs> yeah, they just had a sloth exhibit at the Milwaukee uh public museum.
1: Oh, really? And we went,
0: and they had a real sloth, wow, but you couldn't touch it. Yeah. When I was in the Amazon, I got to hold a sloth. We, oh. we found one on a tree, and the guy just grabbed it and put it on me. I was like, <laughs> I don't know if you're supposed to do it's that. It's the
1: fastest it's ever moved. Yeah,
0: it looked like it had a bowl cut, too. It looked like one of the beetles. <laughs> so it was really funny. When you're talking, I'll pull it up to, to okay. show the people who see the video. All right. Uh, because cougars eat other animals that have seeds in their stomachs, some scientists have estimated that cougars are able to plan, uh, plant around 94,000 plants every year through their fecal matter yeah uh manatees control their buoyancy through cycles of farting there's a lot of uh number two and poo facts in this uh in this uh episode yeah uh harvestman spiders known as daddy long legs predate the dinosaurs i didn't know that that's um, i wonder how they know that too that's another one like how do they know that how you find fossils like, were they, like, giant daddy long legs? Can like, because I just assume everything from, like, that... Or like, the size of a car. Yeah, like, just <laughs> everything's... Like, the new Will Ferrell version of Land of the Lost. Yeah. Just everything's giant. Just cause. That's that's just cause. That's how it is. Uh, the Greenland shark has the longest life expectancy out of all vertebrates Known to science more than 272 years. That is interesting. Yeah. I was going to say something else, and I thought... Uh, uh, don't they like don't lobsters not die, yeah, or they're was, not they've never like I don't think they've ever seen a lobster die of natural causes,
1: yeah, that was a fact, I didn't put it in here, but I did see that, okay, I have no but they're like crustaceans, so that's not yeah, I don't for, know,
0: yeah, so i I'm getting in a territory I'm not sure of, so. Yeah. <laughs> But I do know that one, that they've never <laughs> witnessed that, or unless that's changed recently. I have no clue. I saw so, that fact, but I didn't research it. Yes. All right, so we'll do an in-depth description of the climate of the area. So the climate is significantly drier on the east side of the Cascades, resulting in the rain shadow effect. This difference in precipitation between the lower and higher elevations of forested areas spans two Köppen climate classifications. The majority of the Fremont is warm summer Mediterranean, whereas elevations of 7,000 feet and higher are designated as dry summer subarctic. So precipitation primarily in the form of winter rains and snowpack feeds, watersheds that include perennial and annual creeks, fen marshes, small lakes, and the perennial rivers include the Chewokin, the Sprague, and the Williamson, and Sink, uh, Sinkin, Generally the landscape is relatively flat and rolling, although there are some high peaks that include Yamsey Mountain at 8,196 feet above sea level, and eight hundred and thirty-seven or eight thousand three hundred and seventy foot Gerhart Mountain. Both are volcanic in origin but formed during events separate from what formed the nearby Cascade Range. So the terrain, we covered a little bit of it, but the Winnem... the Winam. Wynnum- Winnema National Forest is on the eastern slopes of the Cascade Range. It covers 1 million acres, part of the forest borders Crater Lake National Park. We've done an episode there. Yep. Uh, the northeast section of the forest is characterized by Ponderosa and Lodgepole Pines and deep pumice ash. The nutrient ground dates back to the eruption of Mount Mazama that occurred nearly 7,000 years ago to
1: form Crater Lake. For those new listeners, uh, Joe is on the History Channel Discussing the Crater Lake case with our friend of the show, uh, Bill Shatner.
0: Yes. When I was on William Shatner's uh, The Unexplained with William Shatner episode and about Crater if, Lake.
1: And if you think I'm lying or you don't believe me, just go to locationsunknown.org and it, it's right on our homepage. Yes. So it, that's the only thing we've ever done yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's worth putting on the whole y- page. Yep,
0: the <laughs> producer of the show loves our <laughs> show. So yeah. whoever doesn't love our show, well, you're wrong. Because <laughs> the, the uh, was it, Prometheus Studios? They yeah. do Ancient Aliens. They do The Unexplained with William Shatter, All those great shows with crazy people. Yeah, I'm now one of them technically. Yes. So, so. the show is. <clears throat> all right. Now I lost my train of thought. <laughs> Highest peak of the forest go. is Mount McLaughlin at 9,493 feet. So some of the dangers that are present in animal form, uh, mule deer, rocky mountain elk, pronghorn antelope, black bears, mountain lions, and bobcats.
1: Uh, tips for safely hiking. In oh, the and I didn't include some of the other normal dangers. To I just assume the rest elevation, of Elevation, exposure. I yes. mean, we cover that every episode. All the same things. Yes,
0: Uh, So these are just some tips for safely hiking in Oregon National Forest. Uh, Driving on forest roads. Forest roads are not plowed during the winter, and many are impassable and or closed. So do not try and traverse snowy roads. You will get stuck, especially if you're in small vehicles. High clearance vehicles are required on many of the roads, obviously for that reason, which means the bottom of your car is not closer to the road. It's farther away. Yes. Uh, know and respect the limitations of your vehicle. If you need a tow, it could easily cost you over six hundred dollars. Assuming you have cell service to call one, uh, most people do not have the stuff in their car to survive very long either. No. So, I'll, I'll unless it's in here, I'll add one. Keep water in your car and like a blanket. It's uh, very easy to do and it could save your life. Yeah. Uh, plan to encounter rocks, boulders, road washouts, drown trees and brush. Drive slowly. You do not want to blow a tire back there especially if you don't know how to change one or if you do know how to change one those jacks that come with cars if you're Mm -hmm. on a muddy road will do nothing yeah you need a trail jack and if you don't know what that is don't drive on those roads (laughs) uh food gas and lodging are seldom available carry proper tools and supplies when traveling in national forest have a winter car kit packed in your vehicle there you go the water would be in that kit for sure Uh, You want to bring the 10 essentials for day hikes and backpacking trips. This includes a map of the area, a compass, a flashlight with extra batteries, sunglasses, extra food, extra clothing, a pocket knife, first aid kit, matches in a waterproof container, and a candle or fire starter. At a minimum, have those things. Yeah. Uh, Another important thing, know the area. (laughs) (laughs) Learn as much as you can about the area you plan to visit. Carry a map because it can't run out of batteries. And the National Geographic puts out these great waterproof maps that you can use like Expo markers and you can draw on them and wipe them off. Got one for every hike we've done. Absolutely. They're like wax coated or something. They're very durable. Those are awesome. Yep. Uh, Contact the nearest Ranger District office for current conditions. If climbing or backcountry skiing, check current avalanche condition reports and check the weather conditions before you leave and be observant of changing weather in general. Some other safety tips. Pick a safe campsite. Check for overhead hazards like dead or leaning trees, also known as widowmakers and hanging limbs. Uh use existing fire rings. Build your campfire away from trees, log stumps, overhanging branches, dense dry glass, grasses, forest litter. Never be a never leave a campfire unattended. Even for a moment, be certain your fire is completely out and cold to touch when you leave. You may be held liable for uncontrolled fires you start.
1: And obviously, check the fire danger level in your area before. Don't just assume you can have a fire in yes. the location you're in. Yeah, if smoky um, says it's okay, <laughs> yeah. go for it. A lot of times, I mean, I know they've gotten a lot of rain recently out west, but up until the last couple months, they've been in an extreme drought and you pretty much couldn't have a fire. Well, and the, in the any thing the is, too, if you've had extreme drought,
0: even if you've experienced like a rainfall that day, it yeah. still might be really, really dry. So even if it's a fresh rainfall, if it's been dry for a long time, it still could spark a big fire.
1: Yeah, and I think people go to jail if they determine you started a forest fire. At a
0: minimum. And some of
1: those fines are insane,
0: like tens of thousands of dollars. Yes. Uh, You want to treat all surface water before uh, using for cooking or drinking unless you're going to be boiling it. Otherwise, you want to boil it rapidly for at least a minute to kill bacteria or use a filter or the tablet's designed to treat microscopic Giardia and windows agrees windows wants to update <laughs> and i'm going to shut off the computer sound i'm going to snooze that so it doesn't update in the middle of the call uh anyway outside of that yep you don't want jardia that will ruin your trip or potentially leave you dead if you're too far away and dehydrated
1: yeah all right mike let's get into character profiles and talk about these cases okay so the first case we are going to cover is a gentleman by the name of robert bobo He went missing in the- Hey, (laughs) bubble. I had to. Sorry. Sorry for all of those listening. (laughs) Um, He went missing in the Rogue River, Siskiyou National Forest. He went missing on October 3rd, 1998, and this was uh, per the Jackson County Sheriff's Office. There is other media reports out there of him going missing on the 2nd, uh, but I'm going with the official date that the Sheriff's Department posted Uh, remains were not found he was a male he was age 39 again this is per the the sheriff's office i found a lot of different articles that had his age ranging from 36 to 38 so there is some conflicting information out there on him he was five foot seven 145 pounds he had blonde hair blue eyes he was last seen in a flannel shirt and blue jeans he had a scar on his lower lip. He also had a scar three inches below his navel. And uh, he had a tattoo of the name Bob on his right bicep. So um, probably an interesting character, <laughs> to say the least. He had the name Bob on his bicep? Yeah, and his
0: name was Robert. <laughs> That's awesome. He put his own name on his bicep. Yeah. <laughs> you know
1: he flexed it and was like, you want to check out Bob? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so He sounds awesome. All right, we're going we're gonna to start the timeline on October 2nd of 1998. And, you know, this uh, of the three cases, this one had some of the, you know, least information available. Um, but he, uh, no, I lost my spot. There we go. Robert was camping in a remote, heavily wooded area in the, the National Forest between Prospect and Union Creek. Uh, the area was west of Crater Lake National Park. At the time, hunters in the area saw a female dropping him off at the campsite in the Woodruff Meadows area near Seven Hundred Road on October second, around nine p.m. He uh, occupation-wise, he was a part-time woodcutter, and he had been living alone in uh, living alone at Woodruff Meadow for a few weeks. So, uh, October third, nineteen ninety-eight. One of Bob's friends arrived at his camp at Woodruff Meadows to pick him up uh, for the opening of hunting season and found no sign of him, even though he had no vehicle of his own. He quickly contacted the National Forest Rangers to report Bob missing. What really worried friends in the case of Bob was that he left uh, everything behind, including his favorite black um, uh, cat cap, two rifles, and all of his clothes. And all of his camping gear. Uh, he, and all his friends said he knew the area too well to get lost. And they basically said he was broke. So he, hadn't, he didn't have enough money to leave. So it was very strange that he wasn't in this location. So like I said, they notified, notified the National Forest Service and a search kicked off. Uh, numerous searches were conducted in the area around Bob's campsite, but no evidence was uncovered uh authorities stated that there were no indications of foul play, but they do believe do not believe Bob left of his own accord so no foul play, but they kind of are hinting that maybe something went on so and a very strange uh he was one of three people to go missing in this area that year, so there was something going on, either just three people were unlucky in that area or they you know maybe there was something else going on as far as uh, we, this so- goes
0: into that one conspiracy where, um, remember you thought there's a potential to park services covering up serial killers.
1: Oh, yeah. what episode was that? Well, that was a while ago. Not that all
0: of them were doing it, but yeah. you thought some of them were like a little, like it was a, uh, off the deep end theory that you yeah. had. You, I don't think you actually believe that or, or I don't do you, I don't know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think people just go missing cause they're not prepared. Yeah. <laughs> Or they just have bad luck. Yeah. Um, so the Jackson County Sheriff's deputies invest uh, investigated the case, and they said, it's just suspicious. We don't know what happened, said Detective Dan Hobbs, who suggested uh, Bob could have left the campsite and suffered an injury or medical emergency. Uh, Bob's brother, Dennis, traveled to the prospect area to search for a skeletal remains and at least once a month looking for clothing, pieces of fabric, or bones, but managed to find nothing, saying, we've played a million scenarios through our heads. We're reasonably sure he's not going to show up. And according to Dennis, the fact that he left behind his favorite baseball hat is proof that he thinks somebody killed his brother. So Dennis said, when he woke up in the morning before... He even went to the bathroom. He put his hat on. He was self-conscious about his receding hairline, and he never went anywhere without his cap. So interesting little um, comment from his brother. Dennis also said his brother was uh, too familiar with the territory to get lost. Moreover, he doubts his brother would have wandered very far if he had suffered some kind of major medical problem, and even if he wanted to leave, he was too broke to do it. So... Uh, It goes, they go on to say, on the night he was last seen alive, Bob got dinner and drinks from friends in Prospect before bumming a ride to the campsite. Uh, To be that broke and then be dropped off 14 miles outside of Prospect at a campsite would be consistent with someone planning to go deer hunting in the morning, not leaving town. Given the circumstances, Dennis said he was 99% sure that his brother was a victim of foul play and was unhappy with the Jackson County Sheriff's Department. He went on to say, there's no evidence of foul play as they consider it, but put two and two together. Where is he if there's no foul play? And this is a constant theme in a lot of our cases that, you know, law enforcement tries their hardest to find these people. And when they come to the conclusion that they probably just got lost and died of exposure, the family usually doesn't, you know, families don't want to hear that. They want to, like, they don't want to think that their loved one may have, you know, fallen or gotten injured they want you know they it's foul play it's got to be foul play
0: well there's also the other side where they might all believe even the detectives that it's foul play Yeah. but if there's nothing to go no on evidence yeah what are you gonna do yeah you, you just have to walk around the same area over and over again until you find something well they do that when they search yeah so if i'm gonna play devil's advocate and just say like if there's nothing to go on
1: yeah they can't just randomly say oh it's foul play like
0: yeah because well as soon as they say so they got right the yeah it's for report. sure foul play which it might look like it but you need without beyond a reasonable doubt it is then they're gonna have to open up some sort of investigation and criminal activity and yeah. they have nothing yeah it would probably be you know as sad as it is to say it's probably a huge waste of resources yeah now if it's a small department
1: maybe they have time and maybe they should spend it i don't know and I mean, what I was getting at is just a lot of times the families are not happy with the investigation that happens in these cases. And sure. I get they lost a loved from. one and they want answers and there yeah. are none. I, I I might be the exact same way. Yeah. If it's a loved one and I'm not getting any answers. Yeah, You want them to do everything they possibly can to find. But like I said, you know, there were three other you know, two other guys that went missing in this area. They only have so many resources, especially at West. We know how many people go missing and most of them are found but it all takes resources to find them to do the search um you know and they all have limited researches so uh sheriff's detective dan hobbs said good question at this point we have nothing to indicate foul play needless to say it is suspicious in nature that he would uh up and disappear like that basically we've done all we can uh i sympathize with the family not knowing but we're just grasping at straws here so basically saying the sheriff's deputy said what you just said uh, and Hobbs says he checked out a number of leads, but none panned out. Bob ran with a sketchy crowd, and rumors about his disappearance have flourished in prospect. So uh, who knows? I mean, this case was back in 98, and nothing's been found since. And uh, it's such a remote area that, you know, probably nothing will be found, but... yeah. Um, <clears throat> that is kind of the end of our first case real quickly before I jump into uh, case number two. What's your theory, Joe? Quick theory on that
0: one. <sighs> I, I feel like it's foul play. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I do. I, I do kind of a little. I, 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 that's my hunch. I don't have a good reason other than, you know, what you laid out, but that, that was my initial instinct. So I'm going to go with it. Yeah. Uh, I don't even have an off the deep end uh aliens
1: yeah there you go my my theory i guess would kind of lean towards foul play even though like we said there is no evidence um based on the fact that people said he kind of ran with a sketchy crowd Um, yeah if
0: he's broke and runs with a sketchy crowd this is making assumptions um is he desperate for money does does he he owe money and someone knows where he's going to be is he meeting somebody out there to try and do some sort of deal yeah, did these he. are all Hollywood. Yeah. Maybe this is off the deep end. It's like I think of uh, the scene uh, in Breaking Bad where they're meeting by the train. Oh, yeah. Like something like that. Like is, is it he's going he's getting dropped off there. Yeah. They said you would only do that if you're hunting. But did they mention that he had gear to go hunting? Yeah. He left so, it all in the, his campsite. Exactly. So yeah. maybe that was like a ploy. Like, oh, I'm going hunting, hunting. Uh, but really, I'm going to be meeting people out here to do some. something. I don't know. Yeah, oh, no, I know. So. I think
1: <clears throat> I think this one is probably foul play, um, but we have no evidence to say that. Who knows? Yep. <clears throat> um, our next case is by the the person's name is Derek um, Egbertson, and he went. Um, you want to look up his last name, see how it's pronounced: E N G
0: E B R E T S O N, Enga <laughs> let's let's here we go. Let's see what Google says. Google's not good with names. Oh, it's turned up. Yep. Let's see here. Wow. Ingebertson.
1: Ingebertson. Yeah, it's I don't no- think it sad. says it's
0: Norwegian. We're just gonna call him Engebretzen. <clears throat>
1: at. We'll just call him Derek. Ingebreitsen. So he went missing in the winema National Forest. Uh he's looking that up. What? The winema I wasn't. but oh. I will now. No, you don't have to. No, it's too late. <laughs> you challenged me to do it. Here we go. Okay. Win him a national there forest. We there
0: you go. Yeah,
1: we've been saying it correct. Uh, date of birth July 5th, 1990. He went missing December 5th, 1998. Uh, remains have not been found. He was a male, age eight. He was four foot six, eighty-five 85 pounds. He had brown hair, hazel colored eyes. He was last seen in a blue snowmobile suit, a size twelve or fourteen denim jacket, navy blue Route sixty six pants, a black sweatshirt and Oakland A's t shirt, a hat, felt line camouflage print boots, and gloves with the Goosebumps logo on them. He was uh, he was Goosebumps no- like the books. Yeah, That's,
0: I'm assuming he had gloves. Goosebumps. Well, this was gloves? the nineties. Yeah, but I didn't even know they made gloves.
1: Oh, apparently, they did. I need to find those. You're gonna. I'm gonna at buy. Your advanced age. You're gonna wear goosebump <laughs> uh, gloves. A hundred percent. All right. I'm <laughs> gonna look these up. You keep going. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, he was known as Bear Boy within his family because uh, his love of the outdoors. Um, it was reported that when he was a week old, his mother put him in a pack and carried him along on a bear hunt. So that's pretty cool. He did have uh, dog bite scars on his chin between his nostrils and under his nose. So experiencing this location, obviously he's only eight, so you have to discount that a little bit. But he grew up hunting with his father and mushroom picking with his mother's uh, father. He had been to Pelican Butte, which is the area he went missing on several of those mushroom expeditions. So you know, he's been out here before, so it's not a, a completely new area for him. This timeline starts on December 5th of 1998 in the afternoon. Derek, um, his dad Robert, and 64-year-old grandfather Bob set out for a densely wooded mountainside above Upper Klamath Lake near Pelican Butte about 30 miles from downtown Klamath Falls. Uh, Their plan was to find a Christmas tree for the holiday season. Um, The family hadn't planned to go out uh, to the woods that year uh, for to Christmas tree hunt, but Lori, Robert's wife, had talked him into using an artificial tree despite the fact that he was enthu- an enthusiastic outdoorsman who always looked forward to uh, the family's annual annual Christmas tree hunt. Um, and the the wife of the dad just didn't want the mess, and I always get forced into getting a, a live Christmas tree, and I'd rather just use a a fake one. It's just easier. I, I, like, the,
0: I like the live, ones. You so like the you, live uh, one, so you're, you're in bad company. <laughs> yeah. It makes the house smell so good. Just get a candle that smells like Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Problem solved. You're such
0: a negative Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> you are. You're like, bah, humbug. <laughs> get a, um, just get a candle. That now,
1: that, <laughs> now that I have a kid, I'll go get real trees. Yeah, there you go. It's cool for them. you have two um, kids. Yes. So uh, so they ended up out in the woods to find a Christmas tree because their disabled neighbor, neighbor asked for a real tree, so Robert decided to head into the forest. As Bob's red Toyota pickup truck climbed the west side road, Robert remembers telling his father they couldn't hang around as it was already after 2 p.m., and it went, it'd be getting dark around 4 p.m. since it was late in the year. Bob pulled into a turnout at milepost 12, On the way to Rocky Point Resort, Robert helped Derek get into his blue snowsuit and the three of them started up the embankment into the pine forest. Robert walked ahead of the other two, telling Derek to stay with his grandfather. As Derek chopped at small trees with his hatchet, he nagged his grandfather that he wanted to catch up with his dad. Uh, The grandfather eventually relented and they headed off apparently after his father. So it's now uh, 3 p.m. on December 5th, and with you know, nightfall closing in, Robert and Bob met up and asked each other, where's Derek? Robert remembers asking, I thought he was with you, Bob said. Uh, and then he goes, he was with you. Robert turned and sprinted back up the hill as hev- heavy, wet snow f- started to fall. He shouted out for Derek, but there was no response. At 4:13 p.m., Robert flagged down a man driving along the road. Fred Hines asked him to dial 911 to call for help from the uh, for the authorities. Hines makes the call from a resort two miles from the area where Derek disappeared. So they call the authorities. Not too long after, I think it might have been five hours. <clears throat> Uh, The search kicks off. So in the hours, immediately after Derek's disappearance, Robert and the other members of the family found Derek's tracks in the newly fallen snow. So this is something a little different in the cases we've covered. We usually don't have tracks found this quickly or ever. I don't remember many cases that we've covered where they've found tracks. Yeah. There was one of that that guy that got stuck in his pickup truck. Mm Mm-hmm. And like the yeah, it was stuck in the culvert, yeah. And they, yeah. they like went down the road and then just disappeared, yeah, <laughs> which was really strange. Um, but and yeah, this kid was only eight, yeah. That's so the boys' small boot prints made a short loop. <laughs> What's up? I'm just listening. I hear beep. Keep going. Oh, sorry, <laughs> we'll cut that out. <laughs> no, we won't. Now we never. Keep do. going. <laughs> so The uh, boy's small boot prints made a short loop from the spot where Robert had last seen him to a clearing near the road where Derek had um, laid down to make a snow angel. Unfortunately, a snowplow had come by obliterating the tracks that led away from the angel. No tracks led from the angel back towards the woods. The cuts Derek had cut in the trees with his hatchet were confined to a small area near the road. Robert felt certain his son hadn't walked back into the trees. By early evening, the snow was estimated to be about five to eight inches on Rocky Point. Throughout the night and for the next two weeks, hundreds of people searched through the snow uh, that was several feet thick, looking for Derek on foot and using snowmobiles and dogs. Did you figure it out?
0: Oh, yeah. What was it? The the alarm for our new office auto sets. Oh. So don't break any windows or anything.
1: (laughs) Okay. Uh, So just to recap, sorry, for those of you listening, we had our security alarm go off. Yeah, I I thought it was going
0: off, but it was setting off. I
1: was like, oh, great, we're going to have, like, the police raid in the middle of our show. (laughs) That'd be great for ratings. So basically to recap, they traced his footsteps back, uh, prints back to a road, but a snowplow had gone by recently and covered up any, like, further tracks. So they didn't know which way he was going down the road? Well, yeah, they don't know if, like, yeah, where he want, once he hit the road. So, um, and snow is coming down pretty, they said five to eight inches of snow is coming down at this time. Oh my God. So like I, I was just saying that uh, through the next couple, next two weeks, hundreds of people searched through the snow uh, looking for Derek on snow wheels and dogs. Uh, Lori, his mom built a bonfire at the turnout, sleeping in a donated camper van, hoping Derek would see it and come to her. Delirious from lack of sleep, she once thought she saw Derek walk out of the woods towards her, waving and smiling, uh, but it turned out to just be kind of like, you know, she was like half awake, half asleep. Yeah. Kind of dreamt it up. Uh, A candy wrapper and a makeshift lean-to shelter made out of branches were discovered, but it was unclear whether they were uh, related to Derek's uh, disappearance. Family members were convinced that Derek had made his way to the road and might have been picked up by a stranger but the sheriff discounted those concerns. There was also a hole in the ice that was discovered in a lake by Bob during the search, and a child's footprint uh, was on the bank. Divers actually searched the next day, and an additional search was done in the area during the spring thaw, but n- nothing was found. Um, so the officials- And it was a lake, not a river? It was a lake. Okay, yeah, so it, was it wasn't like heavy flow or anything like that? Okay. Nope. So the official search ended eight days after Derek disappeared when Klamath County authorities told Laurie and Robert that their son was likely to be dead. Robert, Laurie, and uh, at least 100 volunteers stayed on the mountain for another seven days. Speculation deepened that Derek had been abducted. On December 18th, 1998, sub-zero temperatures forced the family to end the search, but every weekend for the next two years, Robert drove straight from his uh, shift at work to the mountains, meeting Lori they kept a map marking areas where they had searched. Oh, so this that,
0: that poor family.
1: This story gets a little, <clears throat> little interesting now. So what happened to Derek? Um, there, were, there was plenty of criticism of the search and rescue effort, uh, as many believe the authorities had been slow to get the, to the scene the night Derek disappeared. The search was not started for nearly five hours, which that's pretty good in a lot of cases we cover. Um, sometimes people aren't even reported missing. Yeah, for, like for till the next day. Yeah, or sometimes weeks. Yeah, so five hours is pretty good. But I think when it's your eight year old kid, instantaneously is not fast enough. But here the reason why the search didn't start. So um, it wasn't start uh, started for nearly five hours after the first nine one one call by. The passing motorist, because the coordinator was reluctant to interrupt the Christmas dinner for the Klamath County Search and Rescue Team annual awards dinner at Molly's Restaurant until he was sure a rescue was actually warranted. So, I mean, I kind of get it, but also there's a child that's missing. Yeah, the, their think, job is to not assume that it's
0: something's okay; it's to assume everything's wrong. I mean, and they're, then,
1: they're the search and rescue team. Yeah, like you, you assume all the time. I was a paramedic. Even <laughs> when I used to get calls,
0: yeah, we had frequent flyers, people who I knew would call and didn't have problems, and we still responded every time as fast as we could. Yeah.
1: And that's just what you do. It's your job. So I think you, you postpone your dinner, your award dinner, and you get out there and look for them, but, um Well, so. it stinks because it, it sounds like it was that
0: one person.
1: Yeah, it was the coordinator. Because
0: I'm guessing the people in that room would have...
1: They would probably were like, "Yep, let's yep. get out. All there. right, time I to mean, go. We're the search and rescue team. Yes, yeah. It's <laughs> so, it, this is literally our job, and it's happening right now. Yeah. So, Robert and Bob both actually passed polygraphs, but some in the community were convinced that they may have murdered Derek or had been negligent in some way. Robert couldn't speak to his father. He blamed himself for not finding Derek, but he blamed Bob for losing him. Bob was also too racked with guilt to even talk about it. Robert had had taken a lot of time off work. At the same time, the couple had spent thousands of dollars searching for Derek, paying for psychics, and a boat to search Klamath Lake. Uh, Eventually, they actually ended up going bankrupt because of this. Oh, so so sad. Yeah, it just gets worse. Uh, Authorities insisted that Derek had wandered off into the woods and died, that animals had scattered his remains. But the family never really believed that, especially as no evidence had been found, uh, such as bones or torn clothing, This was supported by a witness who said he'd seen a man struggling with a boy along a nearby highway. Then, in 1999, some graffiti scrawled on a rest area bathroom wall near Burns, which said Derek had been killed and uh, buried, uh, but the FBI insisted it was a hoax. A boy named Derek, who was found in Texas under unusual circumstances, looked a lot like the Derek from this case, But proved to be someone else. And then finally, a bone was discovered in Pelican Butte in 2000, and it turned out to be from a deer after a wait of several days to confirm its identity. But the case isn't over (laughs) yet. So in late 2001, a handwritten letter arrived in the family mailbox. Now, I'm going to put a warning. We don't usually do this, but it's kind of a graphic description of a criminal act that. Uh, this guy did. So if you're listening- So you're going to read this verbatim? Yeah, I'm okay. going to read this verbatim. And if you're listening on like speakers in an office or like in your family room, yep. maybe- small children, be warned. Maybe put headphones on or maybe just skip forward if you don't want to hear it. So um, the this is the letter that arrived. It said, I know who took your son on July 11th, 2000, Frank J. Milliken, a 31-year-old state youth authority worker- Approached a 10-year-old boy in Dallas Park and offered the boy $100 to mow his lawn. When the boy reached Milligan's car, the man said to him, Do you want to live or die? Milligan bound the boy's hands with duct tape and then stopped the car just north of Salem and forced the boy to walk down a dirt road and sexually assaulted him. Milligan choked the boy and pushed his face into the dirt so hard he blacked out. He cut the child's throat and left him for dead. But against the odds, the boy woke up, covered with blood, and got to a road where a passing motorist <clears throat> stopped to help. At the time of the attack, Milligan was out on bail from uh, Clatstop County Jail, accused of a 1997 sexual attack on an 11-year-old boy in Seaside. Detectives tracked him down, and he eventually pleaded guilty in both cases. Months later, now, now we're kind of... It's not the letter. Now they're talking about months later what this guy... So that that, like that like letter randomly showed up? Well, it wasn't so random. Okay. So uh, months later, Milligan's cellmate, they found out, wrote a letter to the police and the family saying that Milligan had confessed to abducting and killing Derek, and this was the letter that arrived um, at the family's house. So this was his cellmate who claimed this guy... I don't know how yeah. he would have gotten to Oregon to do this, but so Oregon state police detective who had investigated the Dallas case and others confronted Milligan. Milligan confessed to killing Derek and agreed to lead detectives to the body. Lori and Robert drove five hours to Silver Falls state park, Southeast of Salem and awaited a- as the FBI used ground penetrating radar to scan for Derek's bones. After several days of searching, they came up with nothing. Um, So. Like he just wanted to get out of jail or. Well, so here you go. So uh, Merrick, the Marion County assistant district attorney told the family that Milligan had agreed to plead guilty to the killing of Derek if they agreed to spare him the death penalty. But when Milligan faced the paperwork a few days later, he refused to sign. So Uh, he was just trying
0: to get out of the death penalty.
1: Yeah, maybe... And just drag this family through further pain and agony as a result. Can you look up Dallas Park? I When I first read this, I thought this was in Texas. Obviously, this isn't Texas. Yeah. Yeah. People listening from Oregon are probably spitting out their coffee. Dallas Park, come on. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All those people from Oregon are mad. <laughs> now they're even more mad. All right, Dallas Park... All well, the first stuff that comes up is Texas. But if I type Dallas Park City in Southwest Park in Dallas, Oregon,
1: that's Dallas City Park. Look up uh, the jail, the CLAT C L A T S O P County Jail. Clatsop. Well, I'll
0: just go to Clatsop County.
1: Oh, so it's north. Yeah, it's north.
0: Just how far north? Pretty, that's Pretty in, far. It's right on the border in, of Washington State.
1: Okay. <clears throat> okay. So this makes a little more sense. If this guy was out on bail in Oregon, I I don't know why I thought this was Texas. Because <laughs> Dallas. Dallas Park. Yep, you heard Dallas and I just heard Dallas and just assumed. So Well, you know what happens when you assume, Mike. Yep. <laughs> so um this one had a lot of weird, you know, twists and turns towards the end, but it sounds like this guy just wanted to get out of uh the death penalty, which I didn't know Oregon had. They must have had it back then. Yeah. Um I looked it up too. Okay. So uh theories on this one since you're looking that up, I'm I'd say if the road hadn't been plowed and the tracks stopped I would say abduction was a very likely possibility. But again, it's a remote area. What are the odds in a heavy, you know, kind of a snowstorm out of, you know, the few people that are probably going to be coming down that road? It's going to be someone who's going to abduct, abduct a child. That seems. I feel like the odds are low. The odds of that happening are low, but I guess it could happen. Yeah, it's possible. I think with the odds though, it's highly unlikely. I think in this case, because Derek had clothing on that could probably keep him alive in this these conditions for longer than, you know, someone in like a flannel shirt and jeans. Yeah that maybe what he did was he crossed the road or maybe he was he got to the road and started walking down it for a ways and then walked back into the woods or you know maybe he was like i'm gonna walk towards like one of the towns he thought was in one direction or i don't i don't know why he would walk away from where his dad was that doesn't make sense I mean, I guess it's getting dark out, and he's lost, he's an 8-year-old Well, kid. he's
0: an 8-year-old. He's wandering around, just yeah. discovering things.
1: I think it's probably more than likely exposure. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, I would say that's the most likely. I think because he had the gear on, the, the snow, you know, he had the snowmobile suit, and he would probably have been able to stay warm, That so he probably was able to wander around longer than... Yeah, if you're moving was, around and wearing all that stuff, you're going to be pretty warm. And if it's heavy, wet snow... It's not like minus 20. Well, and he's not going to be
0: going far either, Yeah, which makes it a little more confusing is how much ground can you cover?
1: I think the fact that the plow came through and disturbed any tracks that might have been on the road Yeah, probably. It's
0: like the perfect storm
1: for search and rescue of not being able to find. I think you can't rule out abduction. but No, I agree. I think you can't rule it out. I just think the odds of that happening are super low. Yeah. So uh, another sad case and really terrible note about the frank milligan guy and what he um i really hope he's in jail for the rest of his life to tell you the truth yeah um so yeah another another story and yeah nothing's been found of of derek in all these years after uh this case so moving on to our final case <clears throat> this one again doesn't have a ton of uh information on it but uh, the gentleman's name is ronald Allen ohm he went missing in the Mount Jefferson Wilderness in the Willamette National Forest. He went missing on uh, August 9th of 2012. He was a male, age 52. He um, We don't know really anything about his physical description other than he uh, suffered from a medical condition that required daily medications, and he had, he had a four-day supply of tablets with him. So, Joe, you're a little more up to speed on... Medical stuff. On drugs? <laughs> yeah. Uh, can you think of any common condition that would require medical, you know, tablets that you'd have to take every day? Uh, heart. I would say
0: issue. it's, uh, yeah, blood pressure, something with the, with the heart that's... It but something be, would be like, like, be like, like aspirin or something like that. Serious,
1: like if you stop taking it, it would incapacitate inca- you, know, uh, you? It could be. It could
0: not incapacitate you, but if you have high blood pressure and you're relying on high blood pressure medication... Uh, if you run out and you're exerting yourself, yeah. you could maybe have he a heart attack. A, maybe you already had a heart attack yeah. and he
1: has to take this to... Who yeah, knows? I mean, we don't know. We're speculating.
0: Well, think about... I mean, look at it this way. If you have like a, a hose that's for low pressure and you put high pressure into it, what happens? Yeah. Well, that's what happens in your body with your blood. If you have high blood pressure, it, it can cause an aneurysm. It could... Lots of different bad things can happen, especially if you're stressed. So
1: yeah, we're just speculating. That's that's a speculation. We don't know he
0: has that condition, but my guess is he's taking tablets every day. Um, yeah. Diabetes would be more of like an injection potentially. Yeah. So my, with, especially with heart disease being like the number one thing that we have as an ailment. My guess is some sort of heart condition or
1: blood pressure related. Well, who knows? I was just curious. So, uh, experience in the wilderness, Ron, uh, was an experienced hiker, familiar with the area, and was equipped with blue and a uh, blue and red backpack, tent, sleeping bag, and provisions to last for several days. So he, he, uh, he had enough gear. Yeah, he uh, obviously locations unknown wasn't around then yet, but he was living our creed to always be prepared. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, this case starts off on. August 9th of 2012, Ronald was near Russell Lake in the Mount Jefferson Wilderness Area hiking with two friends. The group had departed from Brighton Bush Lake Campground Trailhead and planned to spend the weekend at Russell Lake, which is southwest of Portland. On a ridge above the lake, he told them he would stay a while to take pictures while they set up camp down below. His friends headed down, leaving Ron behind. Ron never showed up at camp that Thursday night on August 9th of 2012. The friends looked for him, then hiked out Friday evening and reported him missing. Since his disappearance, no remains have been found, and his equipment has not turned up, despite a very large search effort over multiple years. So the search, uh, in addition to Marion County Sheriff's officials, searchers from Lynn Benton Duchess, lane polk counties as well as portland mountain rescue took part in the six-day search searchers looked for home on foot on horse suv and on atvs focusing in on the area between russell scout and bays lake helicopters from the oregon national guard and cessna 182 aircraft from the civil air patrol flew numerous hours scouring the search area but were unable to spot any sign of Ron. Uh, They also spoke with many hikers during the search, and flyers were posted at trailheads and along the Pacific Crest Trail. Over 200 searchers dedicated approximately 3,500 hours to search 300 square miles of the National Forest north of Mount Jefferson. Efforts, unfortunately, were hampered by smoke and the approaching Waterfall 2 forest fire, which was moving west from Warm Springs. Uh, the area around Russell Lake is heavily, heavily forested and has many ridges and valleys with some snow cover daytime temperatures occasionally reach 90 degrees and the elevation uh, of the search varied from 5,000 to 7,500 feet above sea level. So now in 2013 a new search actually kicked off. So in August of 2013, a year after Ron's disappearance, um, MCSO, search and rescue volunteers from Team 18, along with personnel uh, personnel in jeeps and horseback, returned to the area to search again in the hope of finding his remains. A total of 54 people were involved in the search, camping two nights in the wilderness to maximize the time available to search. The search was focused along the Pacific Crest Trail between Brighton Bush and the Whitewater Trailheads. But this second search involving a total of 1135 man hours failed to find any evidence of Ron. So that's where this third case ends. That is like
0: literally no information. I know. Like he was prepared and he's gone.
1: Yeah. Um, are you able to look up? Um, he was Russell Lake. He was on a, let's see, he was on a ridge above the lake. And There should be a campground near the lake. I'm just curious what this looks potentially looks like. Let me share my screen too.
0: So yeah, oh, that's directly north
1: of Jefferson. And look at it's. So the ridge was probably not. He probably wasn't way up there. Go like well, it said, just above the lake, right? Yeah, now. scroll down, back, zoom into the lake. Oh,
0: you're thinking on it's like right on the north side of the lake. Yeah, like
1: I'm thinking he was. Is there any elevation there? That's I I mean, not really.
0: I'm going to I'll look up some Google images too. Um, so, I guess it might be up there.
1: Yeah, this one is I mean, there's so little information on this one. It's hard to make a theory on what potentially could have happened to him because A, we don't know really anything about him. You know, personally, I don't, you, I mean, it could be suicide, but um, if it was suicide, he would have jumped from that ridge area, and they probably searched that area, you know, that would be one theory that would be easily to, able to prove. They know where he was. That was the last time his friends saw him. Yeah, I can't even find, like, pictures of a ridge over the
0: lake. Yeah.
1: Like, just even just randomly Maybe searching. it is higher up in the mountain i mean it's gotta
0: be i mean that's that ridge that's a right ridge there. yeah that, that is a ridge right? <laughs> that's a ridge that's pretty far away from the lake it's north of the lake if that was just i guess the only
1: i mean this looks very remote and rugged yes definitely so is that he he had the he was prepared for several days out there we know that based on the gear he had um I'm trying to see if I mean, I'd say the biggest thing
0: I mean, what if he was doing a day hike and had an accident so he's nowhere near his camp where like he'd leave his gear there, bring, bring well, a the few thing things, was or
1: they were all together up on the ridge. He was gonna stay there to take some pictures and then head down to camp and meet him, well, so
0: yeah, so like maybe he went somewhere else,' like, he'd like oh, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go
1: up that hill to get the really good shot, yes. Like maybe, saw something, went to got go lost. For
0: it. Yeah, got lost, fell in. I I don't a hole. Yeah. <laughs> like or he like, was
1: lost long enough that he ran out of his medication. And he had a medical emergency. Yeah, possibility. Um, yeah, I think
0: it's got to be something like that. Like he went to go. If he's smart enough to bring all that stuff, he's not going to make a dumb decision. So that's where I would look at. I mean, people always can make a dumb decision. Yeah, but. I think more often than not, people that know what they're doing can have an accident where it's maybe out of their control. Yeah. Uh, and if you get injured enough and can't move, uh, incapacitated. Yeah. And they just don't find you. Maybe you're underneath something. I don't know. That's that's like the only thing I could think of.
1: Yeah. I think without, in this one, I could not find really any information on this case. This was uh, very limited information, but- it's just another interesting story of someone being in a location at one second and then they were just gone. Uh, And a pretty massive search, Um, you know, the, and two separate searches. So uh, what I say, 3,500 man hours in the first search. And they had, you know, they had helicopters in the air. They had Cessnas in the air. They had a lot of manpower out there looking for him. So, that just shows you how remote and rugged this, you know, part of the forest is. So I think I'm on your train with this one. I think he probably, you know, people who, like, take, you know, photography when they're out in nature, they see something or have an idea, like, I want to get this shot. Yeah, get in a different position, get in a weird space, and then, yep. something, and then something something happens. You're not paying attention. Or you got lost. Reason. Yeah, or I mean, you yeah, had just bad luck. So. Well, those were the three cases to, that we were going to cover tonight. So any final final thoughts from you? Nope. Uh,
0: just thanks again for tuning into our show. We appreciate all of you for listening and sharing locations unknown with your friends and family. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, where you can find all the videos for each episode. Also, if you'd like to support the show monetarily, please visit our website or Facebook store to buy some cool swag. And you can also subscribe to our Patreon account. On YouTube and on Apple subscriptions, we have access to our special events and additional shows for paid customers only. Uh, that will include our uh, interview we're doing with uh, individual we're going to start collaborating with.
1: Yes, and if that intrigues you, <laughs> sign up and see what the dealio is. They're pretty famous on a platform we're not really on yet. Yep it's gonna
0: it's gonna be a, a it's gonna be interesting and we think it's gonna be really cool. Um, and you might know more soon. You'll know faster if you're a patron or subscriber. So uh, lastly, when enjoying the beauty of nature, whether backpacking, camping, or simply taking a walk, always remember to leave no trace. Thanks, and we will see you all next time.